Welcome to this episode of Punching Sideways, where today we bestow upon you a world champion. Yep, that's right. She walks amongst us in the streets of Aubrey Wodonga. Her name is Kylie Whitehead. And if you want to hear what she's a world champion in, open your ear holes and have a bit of a listen to this episode. So I'm very, very excited that we have Kylie Whitehead here today in the Punching Sideways studio. And what other people might not know is that you are a world champion lawn bowler. Can you just tell me a little bit about how someone from the Chilton area got into lawn bowling and what it takes to become a world champion? So, yeah, I started back when I was 16 and my grandfather actually wanted to start playing. He'd always played golf for his life, but just found that was getting too hard for him. So he thought he'd give balls a go and I just went along with him more for a bit of a laugh uh, just to see what it was like uh, down at um, Wodonga Bowls Club and, yeah, just sort of had a crack and then I suppose, I don't know, I wouldn't say it was love at first sight or whatever, like I didn't fall in love with it, but I was like, oh, well, you know, I might as well give it a go. And it was something that I was able to share with my grandfather, um, which was really nice. So, and it's, yeah, the beauty of the game is anyone of any age can play it. So we took it up together and my grandma was always in Tori. She didn't play, but she always just went and watched all the time. And then, yeah, just sort of went from there and got hooked eventually and kept playing and here I am. 11 years later, still going. So, What was it like as a 16-year-old walking into what I'm assuming is just a lot of older people? Were you sort of treated maybe a little bit more fondly than everyone else because you were like someone that they could all sort of look after? Yeah, a little bit. So I was um, with Donga Bowling Club's first, I suppose, junior female member. They never had anyone, I think, under the age of... I don't know, 40 or something that had joined before. So it was very new for them as well. They actually had to, I think they had to create like a membership for me because, yeah, obviously I was a junior, so I didn't have to pay full fees or something. But, um, yeah, but everyone, as soon as I joined, everyone was so lovely and welcoming. And I think, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, a new thing for them. So, yeah, they just wanted to encourage me to stay in the club and keep playing and sort of, yeah, see where it took me. So what was the conversation like at school (laughs) when you said that you were going to start lawn bowling? Uh, I definitely kept it on the the down low initially and probably all through my schooling years. I think I was in year 10 when I first started. So, um, yeah, and I'd originally, everyone knew me as a swimmer back in the day because that was my main sport. So, um, yeah, I didn't really, I suppose, share only with my close friends. We actually played bowls a couple of times with school, which was pretty fun. And it was kind of hard because, like, I didn't want to sort of, I suppose... Destroy everybody? Well, not so much, (laughs) but yeah. And take it too seriously because I still wouldn't have fun with my friends and things like that. So it was hard to try and find that balance, I suppose. But um, Were they wondering why you were so good? Um, a little bit, yeah. Like my close, I suppose actually it was my close friends who I ended up playing with because they were in, um, into sport and stuff. And we always played all the school school sports, so um, yeah, we played that together. And 
they were really like I had the best friends in school, so they were really supportive of it. But I suppose you know it's high school, so <laughs> you're gonna get you know teased, I suppose, for things like that. But yeah, no, overall it was good. Can I ask, yep. when you first went to the Wodonga Bowls Club, how long did it take them to maybe spot that you had a unique talent for the game? Was it something that they picked up on straight away that you might be a little bit better at this than the average person? Because clearly you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I think at probably pretty early on, like I said, being so young and having that sporting background as well, anyone with hand-eye coordination we'll be able to pick it up pretty quickly. And there, so, yeah, there was a couple of sort of people at the club who sort of took me under their wing, Ashley Bates and Mark Bedford, who'd played state balls as well previously. So they sort of mentored me and coached me from, yeah, early on. And then as I sort of, you know, developed and got better, I suppose, that's and then I went into sort of the state level stuff. But I still, you know, go to them for advice but, yeah, I suppose early on they could see that there was potential there. So, yeah, they really, I suppose, took the time and care to make sure that I was I had that opportunity to develop. How many hours a week did they sort of spend with you to try and nurture this talent? Probably initially went down a couple of times a week after school and probably only really had a couple of hours with them a week just to really learn the basics and the skills and learn a good delivery and how to sort of, you know, play the shots and things like that. But obviously early days you're just really trying to make sure that you're getting that delivery down and, yeah, I suppose, like I said, learning the basics. So um, that was probably, yeah, the first year or two that they the time they spent with me. So were you – excited about the opportunity of getting better at bowls because were you playing netball at the time and were you still swimming was it just one of an extra thing or did you have that realization that you could double down on it yeah no I probably like swimming was definitely still my main sport and I think netball was just a bit of fun and I never I never realized what bowls would become for me at the time I'm being you know just a naive teenager it was just something a bit of fun for me, although I'd have to say early on, like you sort of, it's interesting, you pick up the sport and then you kind of go from zero to a hundred real quick. All these people taking you on, you're like giving you all this advice and stuff and you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> um, it's pretty full on. But yeah, I think I didn't really, I suppose, realise what it would become until a few years in, until I settled into my, you know, into the game and I put a lot of pressure on myself particularly being from the sporting background. So being a bit of a perfectionist as well, you kind of want to be like, oh, I want to be good, you know, straight away. <laughs> and it did take me a couple of years to realise it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. And that's, again, the beauty of bowls is you can have a perfect day or even a perfect game, one one game, and then the, literally the next game you can be like, have I ever played this sport before? Yeah. <laughs> so it is a, quite a humbling sport in that way. So I think it can, you know, feel like you're on cloud nine one time and then bring you right back down, which I think you love makes you fall in love with it. So, yeah, I think you had had to learn that quickly, whereas it's like, you know, my previous ball with swimming, it's like it's just you. You're yeah. just running racing against the clock, whereas with bowls there's so many other elements to it um, and variables that can, um, yeah, 
challenge you, I suppose. And, so- sorry, just with competitiveness, obviously a great heap of Australia's sporting stars are swimmers and no one would think that it's not a competitive environment because it's one of the ultimate competitive professional environments in our country, swimming. Mm-hmm. As someone that doesn't really, isn't inside the bubble of bowls, is it really competitive at just say a regional level, then it goes up, or is it competitive at every level? Like what mentality do people have? Yeah, it's you know so varied from person to person even. I mean, you kind of, I suppose you read it when you start playing. But yeah, there's all, for me, I mean, there's always that underlying, I suppose, tone of competitiveness at any level. Like, you know, some of these women and people you play have been playing for years and you wouldn't keep playing if you didn't have that competition and that competitive edge to you or side to you Um, and I think it's a great outlet for that and so yeah I think obviously at the club level yeah they definitely can have a crack but obviously as you're getting on into the the regional and then state and national level it definitely intensifies and I I love like I thrive in that sort of environment because it's like you just you're challenging yourself against like the the best players in you know whatever area you're in the region or the state. So, yeah, that challenge is what I really enjoy. If you like us, like I like us, get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. Do you think that um, part of you getting on board with the idea of bowls was almost ageing out of school and being more comfortable with yourself and being more comfortable with being open with going down that path. Like I'm just reading you saying, you know, bowls isn't really cool at school type of thing. So leaving school probably I'm thinking maybe gave you a little bit more freedom to just do whatever. Do you think that correlated or it was just coincidence? No, absolutely. I think, yeah, you know, being in high school, you're just trying to survive and yeah, as you know, as you leave, you realise it's like, oh, this is a whole new world, and people don't have those judgments, and you can pretty much do what you want without caring what other people think. Yeah. So I think yeah, definitely, as I left school, I became more comfortable with it, and yeah, I think I was you know then able to play. I was playing with people um, in the state team who were you know my own age, and you could become more comfortable with them and share what it was like for them as well. So, yeah, I think definitely as I left school, I became more comfortable being more open and honest about playing bowls. Now, you talk about like all the you can have a really good day and you can have a really terrible day the next. What what type of things can happen to turn that around completely? Like what can you tell me like the worst day that you've had when you've walked in like high as a kite thinking that you were just going to own it and then something's happened and it's just turned to just shit. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's the hardest thing. It's like it's so unpredictable. Like you said, you can walk in and be like, oh, yeah, I feel like I'm going to have a good day and you get on the green and for some whatever reason, it's very mental, I find. You can get a lot in your head. So, you know, you can be chucking bowls down and then – you're just not reading the green. It's just not feeling right coming out of your hands. You know, your rhythm's a little bit off in your delivery. And then, you know, you start to look for excuses like, oh, it's too windy. It's, you know, there's <laughs> too hot. track. Yeah, too That's hot. That's what I'd be saying. It's too <laughs> hot. <laughs> yeah. um, there's tracks in the green or whatever. And But then, yeah, some days you, you go in and 
you don't even think about it and you can just chuck them in without, you know, any issue at all. So it's hard to really pinpoint what the specific thing is that you can have a good day or a bad day. And like I said, I think a lot of it is mental. Yeah. But yeah, and that's half the challenge as well, I find. We spoke the end of last year to Craig O'Shaughnessy, who's a local sports analytics guy, and he said that in a sport where you don't get coaching during the actual event, and I'm not sure Mm. whether you are allowed to have coaching or not while you're playing or not from people, but when there's minimal coaching and something's mental's happening, it's almost impossible during that same game to switch back out of that. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely. not like having a break in boxing every round or you've got a football coach yelling out from the sideline or your basketball coach telling you every single second yeah. what to do. You're kind of stuck dealing with that mental game. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly in the game of singles, you can nominate to have a coach at you know the end of the, the rink. There's, you, know, you just need someone to talk to, which but I, I've never opted for that because I find that then if you're, I suppose – strong enough you've played the game long enough you should be able to do and know what to do and if someone else outside of that is influencing you just I've seen it like it confuses people like they you know what shot you want to play but you double check and then it's sort of you're like oh I don't know and it never happens for you so I've always opted just to I suppose go solo particularly in singles games but then you know you, you play your pairs or your triples and your fours and you've got your teammates around you to sort of fall back on and pick you up if you need. But then it's also if someone else is having an off day, you have to pick them up. So there's pros and cons to it. Okay, so how do you, during a singles game, if you feel like I'm in a a bit of a hole here and things aren't going right, as Mel was asking before, how do you – well, firstly, how do you know that that's happening? Mm. Because you're actually still competing. Yeah. And what do you do to try and move out of that? snap out of it for lack of a better term yeah so i was interesting in my world championship final i was down just a light plug there folks (laughs) just um it was just fun because it really sticks out for me but yeah i remember i was down by a fair bit and i was just like just don't disgrace yourself (laughs) like you know (laughs) i was representing my country and had all these people there and i'd never done i've never been in that position before and i was like come on like you just got to yeah, don't disgrace yourself and at least make a respectable score. And then that was the turning point for me. But in just any game, you, I think it's as much as you don't try and pay attention to the score, it's obviously, you know, the thing that in a singles game because you have to get to a certain score to win and it's the first one to that. So you're always keeping track of that. And it's like I learned early on actually from one of my coaches, Ashley Bates, he gave me some really good advice. It's like if someone, say, is at a certain score, you say to yourself, all right, I'm going to get to this score before they get to whatever score. So yeah. they're on 15, you're on eight or whatever. You say, I'm going to get to 12 before they reach. You know, yeah. they get another score or something. And then it just gives you an internal challenge rather than worrying about what they're doing yeah. as well. And then it sort of takes away the, um, I suppose, external factors and it sort of internalises it for you and you're just really playing against yourself, which I find really helpful. That's really cool. That's good advice. Well, you're talking all these numbers and scores and that, and probably anyone that's listening at home may not be like across the art of lawn bowls unless they've watched Cracker Jack. And even then, and I'm sure that's just a terrible joke for you because everyone would say, let's go for a roll or where's the complimentary wheel of cheese (laughs) and all those things. But 
what actually goes into the scoring and how does it, like just a brief overview of how the game is actually played. So, yeah, there's a few different formats. So you like, you've got your singles, which is both players get four balls and it's either shots up. So you either play to 25 shots up in a game. So, you know, you, you play an end, each player puts their four balls down and depending on who's got the most closest to the jack, yep. the little white one, then those balls count. So if you've got two closest closer than, you know, one of theirs, yep. you get two shots. Okay. Um, and then if you get, you know, three or they get one, then yeah. And then you keep going until first person gets to 25. So it's a, a point for each one that you have close. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's the same in every format. But then obviously you know, you've got your pairs where you're playing for, you know, two ten players in a team. And yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of different yeah. formats and it can get confusing. But the simplest thing is, yeah, the people who have the closest balls to the jack, they score. You just want to get close, yes. basically. Or you want to bang someone else out of the way so they're not close. That clarifies something for me because my previous job was working for a business that had a big bowling green and I was always thinking, why this person's got a few there as I was walking past, but their goal on that last roll or whatever the terminology is was to knock someone else's ball out of the way, not necessarily get another one close to themselves. Yeah. And I was like, that's a bit weird. It never really made sense to me why. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you're looking to try and make a number and say you've got, you know, two bowls, They've got one, but then the next, you know, four balls or something are yours. If you get that ball out of theirs, you want to score six or whatever it is. Yeah, okay, that's cool. (laughs) I feel like from just talking to you, Kylie, you're the one who just wants to bang everyone else out of the way. (laughs) Is that right? No, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a a gentle intensity in the room. There is. (laughs) No, she's like, no, I'm not like that. I just want to get closer. So... (laughs) That's not a tactic you like. There's a time and place. You pick your shots. Um, I'm probably, I'm definitely more of a reserved player, but I have, you know, learned as you go on and you develop those skills to read heads and be able to play those big shots. It's all about confidence Sorry, as when well. you say a head, is that oh, other people's sorry. heads or is that the, the group the, the of balls? group yeah. of balls, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're not sorry. looking at your competitor going, oh. <laughs> No, I thought it was reading, like, their yeah. mind. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, bowls is pretty intense. There's <laughs> <laughs> some weird terminology, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, so the head is, um, yeah, the end of, of the group of balls yeah. that you're looking at at that, at yeah. that time. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, so, um, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I definitely have, I suppose, an... I want to say it's an aggression, but it's competitiveness at the end of yeah. the day. It's like you want to win. So if you see a shot and you can, you know, you're confident that you can play, you're going to go for it. But also, like I said, you have to be smart. And if it's going to be too risky, then you don't play it. And it's like, well, we're going to get two shots. So you're happy with that. Yeah. Um, rather than play the glory shot and potentially stuff it up. So have you ever just like turned around after someone's gone and just gone, booyah, <laughs> you're gone. Oh, that's the shot. I'm going <laughs> to knock you way out of the park. Like, I know yeah. that's not even term, but I can just imagine myself just looking for an opening and just going, yep, I'm just eating that for breakfast. See you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some days you just see them like beach balls and you're like, you feel confident enough and you just, you know, <laughs> sitting balls out left, right and centre. Um, and it's, yeah, such a good feeling. Um, and you know, like if it's, you have to sort of, I suppose for me, it's very visual. Like I visualise the shot. So if I can see it in my mind, yep. then I, uh, you know, I play it. But if, if I can't see it, then that's when I sort of like, oh, maybe it's not the best time to do it. Yep. But yeah, I suppose again, it's weighing up your options. I 
remember speaking. I used to be involved with the Bandits, and we had a couple over the years, players that were would kind of get on streaks. And one of them was a guy named Deborah George, and he told me one time that when he's really on fire, it feels like he's shooting at a hula hoop. Yeah. And he can't miss. Do you, and he also went on to say some days it feels completely the opposite. Do you ever find, I mean, you've achieved at the highest level, do you ever wonder why yesterday were these beach balls and now they're golf balls? What happened in that 24 hours or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just, and like, it's just ridiculous. And I don't know what it is, whether it's like what you have for breakfast or what's going on in your day or something. But honestly, it's just, like I said, I think that's what keeps you coming back is you can have an amazing day and an amazing game and then the next day or next time you play, it's just, you're like, what am I doing? So, sorry, you're driven to, you know, embrace and get hold of those beach ball days, since we're using that terminology, more so than dwelling on the fact that you're not having one yes. on other days. Yeah, you're always yeah. looking for those days and it's honestly the best feeling when you're in that zone where you feel like you can't do anything wrong. And like, yeah, you always want to get back into that place. And when you do this, you just feel like there's nothing that can stop you. And it's, yeah, it's a very powerful thing. And I think that's why I love bowls. And it was similar with swimming, like, because that was rather, like really individual. And I, I prefer to play the singles format in bowls just because, too, you're not letting anyone else down. Yeah. And it's I all really you. That. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's sort of, yeah, something I, I enjoy. Like, I love playing the team format as well. And with my teammates, but yeah, with the singles, it's like, it's only you, you can't let anyone else down and you can't blame anyone else. Not that I usually do. I usually blame myself anyway, we're in team things, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, you, you're looking for that mindset where you just feel like you're on top of the world and you can't do anything wrong and it just flows. Um, and yeah, it's such, a, it's an awesome feeling when you're in that, that set. So what do you say during your world championship final that when you made your comeback, I'm assuming, the comeback, what, did you go into a zone there um, or anything approximating a zone? Or I want to hear just... the commentary of that too. Oh, I can just imagine ging it all Because <laughs> you did say that you were a little bit behind yeah. and then you did win that final. From, yeah. yeah. So can you talk us through that period from when your comeback started, what you started? Yeah. What uh, you were feeling, what was happening? Um, I can try. Um, <laughs> it's all a bit of a blur, but um, yeah, I think for me I usually – it was weird. Like we played so many games leading up to the final and, you know, I was nervous for some of them, but I think that final, I just really, it got to me because I'd never played in, you know, a situation or a game like that. And I just sort of felt like the weight of the world was on me. Um, cause I was Literally. Like, yeah. I was representing right. my country. Like I had all, you know, I had people from my club there, which is, you know, I had that support, but it was on home soil as well. So I had, you know, everyone, all the locals sort of cheering for me and, as much as you try not to let it get to you, it, it got to me that day. And for the first half of the game, like, I just couldn't settle in. Like, I felt really uptight and tense. And then, yeah, at that moment where I said, just, you know, don't disgrace yourself. And at least because I'd resigned myself to the, to losing. I was like, I'm not gonna, going to win this because yeah, my opponent was playing really well. And, yeah, it just, I was like, you know, a silver medal at the World Championships is not going to be, you know, disgraceful. But at least I didn't want to have the scoreline look like, oh, what was she doing in the final? So, yeah, at that point I said to myself, don't, you know, just try and do the best you can. And then I was very, very fortunate and I do believe someone was looking down on me at that point because there was an end that literally changed the game and I picked up a number through my opponent's misfortune 
And then, yeah, that somehow changed the game and it seemed to knock her a bit. And then I was like, all right, this might be my in to at least potentially win because it was set to play it in the World Champs. So you play two sets of, I think it was nine ends. And then if you each won a set, you go to a tiebreaker. So I was like, well, if I can win this second set because I'd lost the first, I can at least go to a tiebreaker, which ended up happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that turning point in the game allowed me to then just try and relax a little bit and just go back to what I knew and take everything else out of it and just try and enjoy the moment. I was like, there's very, you know, rare that I'll be here again because it's really hard to get into that place. So just take it in and just try and enjoy it and, you know, see what happens. Kylie's a physio as well and she just walks among us real like normal people as a world champion. And um, I actually haven't really noticed that you strut that much either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to uh, just envision the the Kylie that I know and it's it's not like bopping down with her head down the street like the Bee Gees or anything (laughs) like that. Like you wouldn't know any different. So how did... How did that happen? Like it's a your grandparents raised you. Can you tell me how how that was growing up? Yeah, from what being born to age seven was with my parents, yeah, and they travelled a lot. It was my mum that was my um, the indigenous side, yeah, um, and my dad was English. When I wasn't in school, it was fine, but once I sort of started school, yeah, my grandparents were like said she needs to go. She needs an education. You know, those first years of going to primary school and learning are the most pivotal, I think. Yeah, they, they <laughs> towed the caravan halfway around the country just looking for us and, and brought me back and, yeah, into Chilton. And I have, yeah, been living there ever since until I brought my house recently. But, yeah, I grew up with them and, like, I wouldn't be the person I am today without their support because they were, you know, just amazing and supported me in anything I wanted to do whether it was my sport or my school or career-wise so yeah forever grateful for for my grandparents my grandpa's no longer here but still my grandma's still here and she is like my my biggest supporter and my rock like yeah I wouldn't be here so very special relationship with them and I suppose that's how I got here today yeah well physios you have to be pretty educated and doing well at school to get into that so it's amazing you're really in an industry that is focusing on sporty type people aren't you like physio like the body movement and that do you think that that helps you with your endeavors as well understanding the mechanics of the body yeah I think for sure it definitely gives me I suppose a bit of an edge and I suppose really looking after the body and um, knowing you know the right things to do and keeping fit and healthy and, you know, going to the gym and at that sort of the the national level, they're really, you know, big on that, keeping, you know, your optimal sort of health and fitness because you know that then you can perform better when you're playing, playing bowls. So I think it definitely, yeah, definitely been lucky that I've been able to tie the two in together and just give me that bit of an edge. Because you were in Chilton, is that why you had to play netball at Chilton? Because it's not like the choice club, really, is it? Like, <laughs> so. uh, pretty much, yeah. Like, it was literally I could walk down to the courts. Like, that were probably 300 metres away from where we lived. Yeah. But we still drove. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, and I didn't actually start because I was like swimming was my main sport. So I didn't start playing netball till I think I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so very sort of suppose, late to it. But, yeah, I think it wasn't really my main sport. It was just something I did for fun and to, you know, an, an extra bit of fitness and socialising really. I think it's just like growing up in the country, like the, just the done thing. Yeah. You play netball as a girl, basically. Yeah. And it's Saturday sport. <laughs> That's what you do. You play netball. Now there's options. You can play footy if you're a girl as well. Soccer but it, and softball and hockey. Yeah. And, yeah. But like, it, and particularly if the club's that close, it's it's just that would have been what the, what the thing is. It helps you sort of evolve and be comfortable in teams or uncomfortable in teams potentially. That's why you like playing singles now from... <laughs> <laughs> from playing with so many women. I don't know. It was just uh, from my memory. I liked playing netball, but I didn't like playing with all the different people, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, no, I can definitely understand yeah. that. There's different first, uh, sorry, different personalities, but I, you know, I got along with everyone and I like to think that, yeah, everyone got along with me. Were you swimming in the 25-metre Chilton pool or were you coming into Wodonga to swim? Uh, so I started out at Chilton, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to swim against Chilton when there was a local Upper Murray yeah. for Coryong. Chilton and, had a team. And I used what? to love that because I was a sprinter. Ah, uh, yes. So the shorter the pool, the more I would win, which yeah. is, yeah. But the only problem is when you get in the 50-metre Olympic pool and you're used to doing a turn and having a rest, you would actually just die <laughs> for about 10 metres and people, like at the state championships in Melbourne, my mum said, because the Coryong pool's 33 metres, yeah. I was winning the final quite comfortably. And then when it got to about the 30 metre mark, I hit a wall because normally I would have just done a turn and went backwards and had a little break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely interesting. Like I, um, yeah, started out at Chilton and it was so much fun. Like we went to go, went up to all the little communities, went up to Coryong a couple of times, out to Beechworth and that was, yeah, so much fun um, swimming in those little towns. And Did you ever the, go the to Myrtleford into their ice block pool? I think so, from memory, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do remember going there. There were some interesting places, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ice blocks. Oh, we yeah, just all used to get on the bus for Murrayville car. It didn't matter how hot it was. We were like, this pool's going to be freezing. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Just surrounded by trees and no sun on the pool. And yeah. I was only good at backstroke, although saying good was a loose term as well because I feel like I hit my head way too many times. <laughs> and now I feel like I would just, I don't know what, I'd be just terrible at it. It's a competitive thing too as well. Yeah. If I'm not good at something, which is surprising because most people see me and go, no, she's not good at anything. But if I'm not good they do, at They do feel like that. <laughs> it does feel like that. I really do, I probably just go, oh, this looks really easy. Everyone else makes it look easy. So, of course, it's going to be easy. And then I get disappointed when it's not. Uh, <laughs> do nah. you, do you still insane. swim? Um, no. You know, I actually got in the pool a few weeks ago for the first time in about six years. <laughs> it is um, but, so much harder than oh, when you're swimming all the time. Yeah. I had no idea growing up. I went, I've gone back to swimming several times. Like, how did I used to just do Yeah. like 50, 100 laps? I was couldn't even get my arms out of the water. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. You definitely are. Like, you know, I used to train every morning and then- yeah, you get back in and you just think far out. Like it would have been so fit when they were when I, we were younger. Um, but yeah, it's definitely. So a if there's any young experience. people listening, just stay in the pool yeah. once a week for your whole life. Yes, it's an amazing yeah way of keeping fit. So. 
Hey guys, Josh here. All this talk of exercise and swimming reminded me that I haven't given you guys an update on my work with Ty Seaton from Welcome to Weight Loss. That's at Welcome the Number Two Weight Loss on Instagram. To keep it super short, when we started working together in 2021, it was late August. I was 124.7 kilograms on day one of tracking. As I talk to you today, it's the first week of January 2022, and I'm at 112.5. So, amazing results so far. Ty's been incredible. You can check him out once again at Welcome the Number Two Weight Loss at Welcome to Weight Loss on Instagram. Now we'll jump right back to the incredible Kylie Whitehead. Tell me this: What age group are you with at world class level? Is it just like any range like are you competing against people that are like 50 or is it just more your age group um so yeah at the world it's world level it's open age i think i played against a girl that was 21 arranging all the way up to i'm going to say 70 but there was all ages in between that as well and i think there was a 16 year old there as well in the men's side but then there was an 80-year-old over men competitor as well. So I think that was the beauty of it. And it is, you know, the best thing about bowls is any age group can play. So generally it is just open. When I was younger, you know, you played in the under-18s, so playing against juniors, and then there was a bit of an under-25 level as well. But once you sort of get older, it's, yeah, obviously you're just playing against open people. And then as you reach the latter years of your life there are over 60s competitions to sort of yeah make it I don't know it doesn't make it easier because they're pretty competitive those old grannies but (laughs) what a cool way to be a well-rounded human I think like there's not many kids or anything these days that can talk to any age group particularly now you know with more technology and stuff like that and I think like for me growing up on a farm, I really only had like adults to talk to as well. But if you're thrown into to that sort of space growing up, you can talk to anyone and be comfortable with anyone and potentially not judgmental of anyone as well. And it makes you, and I've sort of seen this watching you not in a creepy way, but more relatable to a lot of people because you're more exposed to that. How do you think we can get more people into bowls? Uh, That is the million-dollar question, actually, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, growing up with my grandparents, you know, they were older, so they taught me a lot. And, you know, they grew up in tough times. So they made me, I suppose, appreciate what I had and kept me very humble. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I was always comfortable talking to people of any age group. Probably even more so the older generation, really, than people my own age. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think I just found my home, particularly at the Bowls Club. And I love just sitting down and talking to people from the older generation and hearing their stories. And I actually worked in aged care as well for first, the first few years of my career, physio career. And again, just I loved just listening to them. And I feel like we can learn so much from the older generation and, you know, There's not a lot of those sort of, you know, veterans and things like that left. So I think 
the bit of knowledge and stories and wisdom that they can share still, I think we need to make the most of that. But yeah, I suppose in terms of getting more people to play, younger people to play bowls, it is a tricky one. And I've definitely noticed, I suppose, when I was younger and had that support from my grandparents, like they'd take me to any any bowls things or anything like that. So it wasn't an issue. But as you get older, particularly as a female, you know, you're looking at starting families and that commitment of, you know, marriage and things like that. It can, yeah, just and balancing your work and things like that, it can get really hard. And it's definitely something I've found has been a big struggle just trying to figure it all out and balance everything around still playing at a competitive level, still working full time, all that stuff that goes along with life. So, and there's definitely a huge movement at the moment to try and encourage more women and younger people to play bowls. And I think it's not to sort of, I suppose, you know, be harsh on the older generation because it's what they've grown up with. But a lot of the women's competitions in bowls have always been midweek when people of my age and with families could never play. Yeah. So, yeah, there's been, you know, a push to try and get more competition on weekends or after hours. There's, I think it's bowls with babies, like (laughs) mums being able to bring babies to the bowls club. Yeah. So yeah, Not bowling babies. No. No. Just bowling babies. Although I'm sure there's some mums there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because I could get around bowling babies, I think. That would be pretty fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's definitely, yeah, more more open ideas to it. But, yeah, what it is exactly to try and get, particularly around these regional areas, like there's really not a lot of younger people, particularly yeah. girls. Okay, what what do you hear from people as their reticence to do that? Like what's the reason why they're not, if you were to say you should come along, what, ex- no, not excuses, but what reasons do you find for people not doing it? Yeah, I think it just comes down to that stereotype, like lawn balls is an old person sport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're clearly one of the best people in the world at it and you're not old. <laughs> yeah. So if you were pushing that message to somebody, yeah. are you still getting that same resistance? Maybe as opposed to what an older person might if they're trying to bring someone in? Yeah, yeah, I think I am. And oh, I don't know, it's hard because I think I can only talk from what I know, but, you know, kids these days, it's very, you know, there's a lot of technology. Oh, you're sounding like old now. I know, <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, I just, whether, you know, you get into the schools and just feel like, come play bowls, but I don't know. There is it an is impression tricky. amongst a lot of younger people, not all of them by yeah. any means, but that somehow hanging out with older people is A, boring, which are some of the funniest people you'll ever meet oh, in your life yeah. are old, particularly if just when it comes to stories. Yeah. But also like they're going to suck the youth out of you. Yeah. Like they're going to attach themselves like a leech. Yeah. And you're not going to be as young, well. That's obviously not true, but there is a disinterest in older people yeah. by, from young people because I guess part of their world is a virtual world yep. where it's youth-driven and beauty-driven, all these different factors that they seem less interested in old people. Yeah, yeah. And, I've, yeah, I'm, I suppose I'm trying to, you know, it's hard because you don't get a lot of support, but trying to get things going to entice younger people I've got ideas in my head that I would love to see happen, but it's so hard getting them out there. One of the funnest things I ever did was go and try square dancing. (laughs) And it had every stereotype of every old person there. And it was just 
I laughed for like four hours straight doing this square dancing, which I was terrible at. My cheeks were sore and I went home with a headache from just hanging out with these people that were just completely their own individuals. And I think that was, yeah, really cool. I just want to ask you though, Kylie, you said you've got all these ideas in your head. Now, are they secret ideas or can we get around them and like try and help them happen? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I suppose just, yeah, I think you got to start keeping it very fun and social. Yeah. So, like, I've got this idea of, like, a Mexican theme, beers, bowls and burritos. Yes. Um, Get people down, you know, wearing some, whatever the big hats are called. Sombreros. Yeah, that's one. They've got a beer in one hand and then a burrito. I don't know where the bowl's going to go, but maybe they'll have well, to put one down. Well, they're not putting the beer down. They're yeah. going to put the burrito down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could get a bit messy, but... um. Yeah, I think things like that and getting the community involved, just getting the word out there that, yeah, we do have a bowls club and it's actually a lot of fun. And a lot of people, like, you know, during the festive season, a lot of people come down for their end of work things. Yeah, it's just letting people know. But we too, as a club, need to, I suppose, be proactive in getting out to the community and making it more enticing for people to come in. Sorry, when you say we as a club, who is we? Oh, I think just the members... Of, yeah, like I play at Wodonga Bowling Club. Yeah. So, just because um, this show is highly local, so yeah. I just want to make sure that people know who you're talking about that they can reach out to if they want to today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just I'm um, at Wodonga Bowling Club and we just, yeah, recently got a new board in, which is really great. I'm not saying anything about the previous boards or anything because they all did a good job, but um, I think, yeah, there's seems to be, you know, and after the couple of years we've had, it's been hard, but I think there's a big opportunity now to sort of reach out and, start doing things that are going to get more people in, hopefully younger members, and, yeah, get a few more people down there. Because as much as I love the old people, it would be nice to have a few younger people down there (laughs) to talk about, you know, up-to-date things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I suppose that's my little plug. Even just come down to the club and have a beer. It's cheap. The beers are cheaper than anywhere else, just quietly. Genuine 1970 <laughs> prices. Is that the Yeah. And it's just very chill. I think people, you know, think, oh, they're all old and grumpy and the stereotype, but they're all really fun and lovely and um, always willing to help out. So if you want to come down and have a drink, feel free to. <laughs> So can we finish up talking about the state of the sport for yourself going forward as to what's happening? It's continuing to happen. I'm sure there's some disruptions in your plans for competing or if there's not, can you talk us through what maybe your next 12 months is hopefully going to look like? Yeah. Um, so obviously, yeah, this last couple of years has just been full of disruptions and reschedules of tournaments and things like that. But hopefully... I've got, uh, uh, what have I got, the National Australian Championships in April and then uh, state champs as well down in Bendigo. And then, yeah, as the year goes on, just a lot of, hopefully a lot, um, a few different state things as well, playing test series against, you know, South Australia and Tassie and things like that. And fingers crossed they all can go ahead because, yeah, I've definitely – it's been hard to keep that competitive edge going with Corona and everything. So it's so nice to actually be back out on the bowls green and competing again. So hopefully, yeah, this next year we'll be able to get some consistency in competitions and hopefully some results. 
And yeah, I suppose I'm in the in the national squad as well. So I suppose it's just making sure that the selectors are seeing me and what I'm doing as well to be able to then give myself a chance of getting selected to play at an international event as well. Um, Commonwealth Games? Nah, not this next year, but I will be actually. It's really cool giving the, the players who are being selected for Com Games being able to play against them yeah, and uh, just having a role against them and um, some training. So that'll be a really cool experience, I think. But who knows, maybe, you know, in the next, what, four to eight years, I'm still, I'm only 27, so I will be over the hill um, past 30, the next Com Games when it comes up. But You've got till you're 80. Well, exactly. <laughs> you are talking about an 80-year-old earlier. You could beat Andrew Hoy, who has, how many Olympics has he been to? Oh. Like, Six or something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, We probably should fact check that at some point. I should fact check that. But it's a lot. I know he's like gone to the most Olympics or something as an Australian and you could probably beat that given the the lifespan potentially of a bowler. Yeah. So um, but time will tell. But yeah, just keep enjoying it and making the most of it and see where it takes me. Well, you've got me excited about it and I feel like this Mexican themed thing is going to happen because I'm going to make it happen with you, whether you like it or not. So. I saw Mel's eyes lit up when you said Mexican thing. I've got a Mexican outfit already. <laughs> oh, perfect. So and we're Victorian, so it's only nice. Right. Exactly, exactly. So that's going to happen, guys. You've you've heard it right now. She's put it out there and my little, like, <laughs> bowerbird instinct has jumped on board, so we're going to go <laughs> bowling down. Let's up. do it. So if and when, I'm sure you will make the test team, I like that it's called a test match. Too, yeah, no, it's great. What's the closest potential venue to Albury-Wodonga or the Wagga-Wangaratta area that someone would be able to see you play and come along and maybe do how, – how open are bowling crowds to a test match crowd? Do you have people dressing up and yelling and covered in paint? No. <laughs> <laughs> so not open to it. Guys, if you saw the look on her face, she's pretty much shaking her head at me. She's like, no, it's going to disrupt my mind. So is there a town that's potentially nearby? Um, I was trying to think. She said um, Bendigo. Yeah, Bendigo is, yeah, I mean, that's still a three-hour drive. Yeah. Um, my housemate was telling me there's a pretty awesome green in Echuca, but maybe that's Moama, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good tournaments at Moama. We might be able, we might be playing a test series there, but yeah. There's always things going on there, so if you ch- jump on their Facebook or their website, I'm sure you'll be able to have a look in there. They have a lot of international stuff there as well, so, yeah. Nice. So do you want, do you want to give us the details? Of, like, is this Wodonga Bowls Club have a Facebook page? They do, yeah. So is it at Wodonga Bowls Club? I do believe so, yeah. yes. So let's give that a like and follow that for when the Mexican event pops up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that sounds like that's happening. That's happening. That's happening. Thanks so much for coming Thanks, in Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me, guys. I feel inspired, Mel. Do you? I'm not sure about what. I just walked away feeling like this person's awesome. Kylie's achieved so much and she's so down to earth. Yeah. But there's a drive there that she's not trying too hard to hide. Yeah. That she wants to do well and wants to succeed. But I think she comes across as someone that has her priorities in life very much in order and in a very positive way. Would you ever have thought that, like, we had someone like that walking around in Aubrey Wodonga? No, because normally when anyone achieves anything around here, they're on the front of the paper 10 times a week and (laughs) everyone knows them. And that's a shame, I think. We need to get Kylie on the front of a paper. Yeah. Podcast um, guest. 
<laughs> Kylie what? I don't know if that's <laughs> what her claim to fame would or could or should be. <laughs> no, probably it shouldn't be. But maybe if we get this Mexican thing going, yeah. we might be able to get a front page thing going there. I think she's been on the news, obviously, because if Prime News didn't report on the fact that there's a world champion here, then they yeah. should get shot, yes. basically. <laughs> yeah. But not enough is known, and I feel like it's a little bit on you too, Kylie, now that I've talked to you, because you're not great at promoting yourself. No. So, so I'm going to nudge that a little bit more. <laughs> Mel's got a mission eyes on. Yeah, I've got mi- mission eyes. Not, mi- <laughs> not missionized. No. Nah. Her mission hyphen eyes. And I'm also terrible at doing that as well. But um, Yeah, I struggle to get you to share this show half the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really proud of it too. Yeah. I'll just, uh, yeah. So I'm, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to be humble, but also not wanting to be slamming yourself out there into the world. Like she seems very much like the achievement was great and she's excited about people being excited. Yeah. But there was a part of it I got the sense that, she wants to keep part of it for herself. Yeah. But in a positive It's her way. it's her yeah. achievement. It's yeah. a I, I feel like you can be in the public, but you can be quite a private person as well, which yep. might as well sound contradictory, but no. it's also about protecting yourself and your spaces. Yeah. It's a good little treasure trove yep. at Wodonga Bowls Club. That we're all going to go to, guys, if you're listening. Yeah, well, I'm going to, I definitely want to check out one of the learn to play days. Yeah, they have them on Sundays. I've seen it so many times and I haven't penciled it in hard enough to stick to it. Something else has come up, but I'm going to change that because I, I want to go for a roll. Right. Well, maybe if you want to go for a roll with us yeah. at some point. We'll let people know on our Facebook page when we're going to go and maybe we can get some people to come check it out with us that listen to the podcast. There's no maybe, baby. This is happening. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, apparently it's happening. It's happening. So we'll post that on our page at some point. So if you're not following us, at Punching Sideways on Facebook and we'll be gathering a bowling group. Yes. Well, I live with someone currently that used to be a bit of a gun, obviously not a superstar, but he might be pretty handy. <laughs> so we've got one person. Yeah, I feel like there's some closet bowlers out there that because of the perception that it potentially isn't cool, aren't doing it. Shame on you. Let's get out there and make it cool. Let's <laughs> make used, bowling cool again. <laughs> let's make it cool again. Whenever I used to walk past like 50 ladies yeah. or men on different days, all laughing when it's 40 degrees or whatever, however it is, as hot as they can play, yeah, it's cold, it's whatever, and they're just having the best time. And how is that lame? When I really think about it, it's like a huge group of people all laughing to the point where they bent over. Yeah, and I just <laughs> it sounds like the coolest thing ever. If anyone can pull off those outfits and still have fun, <laughs> then how is that not cool? Yeah, <laughs> we might need to do something about the outfits. <laughs> all right, laters. Bye-bye.